Thanks for joining us on this episode of Market Meditations. Today we have joining us Abhishek Agarwal, who's head of strategy for oncology for GSK. Um, previously, he's worked at Novartis. He's done a bunch of interesting startups. He's invested in a number of companies. Um, and he's worked on some fairly high-profile deals uh, in his consulting career that, that occurred previously, um, including at one point, I think, like the like a 30-year plan or something for a big company like J&J. So Abhishek really has his finger on the pulse of what's happening in pharma in general. Um, but today we're going to focus more on oncology and where it's going. And uh, maybe Abhishek will share a little bit about himself with us beyond my intro. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you, Neil. Um, I, I mean, you captured in a nutshell what I've done, but lately what I've done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, lately I have been doing quite a bit in oncology. And I think oncology is where most of the innovation is coming through. So it's a, it's a, it's a fortunate time for all of us um, because I think we, in our lifetimes, we will see um, many forms of cancer becoming livable. So it becomes more of a chronic condition. So um, yeah, I've, I've just been happy to be part of it, to contribute to humanity in many ways. Um, and uh, that's, that's essentially what has motivated me in doing anything fundamentally in the last 20 years, um, starting from consulting to startups, like you said, um, to, to just working in healthcare. It's just very enjoyable. And uh, that also takes me to um, some of the fun things that I've started doing with Gates Ventures lately, where they are sending me some deals to review where they want to invest, specifically in uh, um, dementia and Alzheimer's. So um, you know, happy to be part of uh, this ecosystem and contribute whatever I can. I, so, so when you say that you think cancer will become a chronic condition, I think of like eczema as a chronic condition. Do you think we're going to be able to get cancer down to that kind of level of of uh, of something that's you know? I, I think it's yeah. an important thing, but it's when I think of chronic conditions, it's not you know, it doesn't dominate. The majority of the people's yeah. lives. Um, and we already have evidence. Um, you know, the, the earliest evidence that we have is Herceptin, that Genentech brought in. And women have been living with it, um, essentially, once that uh, drug came through. So um, we have seen that happen for a, a lot of drugs, um, a lot of conditions. CML has become livable. Uh, you, you don't necessarily die from CML anymore. Um, because you have Gleevec, um, and you're, uh, it, so it's become chronic. Um, so, uh, but I, I, I anticipate that this will happen more so, even for the cancers that are more rampant, like uh, breast cancer, lung cancer, prostate cancer, or deadlier cancer like um, pancreatic cancer. I think. And when I say in our lifetimes, I say basically next 10 to 15 years, we'll see a, a lot of cancers becoming more and more livable. 
That's actually really good news to hear. What do you think is leading to the increase in, in breakthroughs that companies are having? You know, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, I've, I've given a, it a lot of thought. Um, clearly, all, all the work that has gone through in um, the omics revolution, essentially, uh, we know a whole lot more about how cancer evolves. I mean, we've already changed the way we look at cancer instead of looking at cancer uh, being specific to an organ or to to blood it has become more of a biochemically driven entity so pathways have become very very important uh, molecular pathways what molecular pathway can you disrupt um, that's essentially why one of the leading drugs these days with immune oncology keytruda um, and it you know has has you know has broken the mold of whether you whether it's a lung cancer or it's breast cancer, Keytruda is not defined by that anymore. It's defined by what type of mutation do you carry. Um, and that, that's, that's, it's essentially a function of knowledge. We know more so we can control better. Uh, we, we understand that oncology is essentially defined by three things, which is, um, you know, you can eliminate, you can keep you, you know, eliminate the cancer, you can keep the cancer in equilibriums, or you can keep the cancer or, or you, you know, just do the escape of cancer. So you have those three elements. And generally, most of the... Wait, can you repeat those yeah, three elements sure. again so one more time? For three me. E's of cancer, essentially, it's elimination, equilibrium, and then escape. So the first thing, elimination, is that uh, generally most of the the previous 50 or 100 years were all about if you have cancer just cut that part or give it uh, chemotherapy or give it radiation therapy so you kill it so that's the elimination piece but it's very very hard because you have these stem cells you have these cancer based cells that are circulating um, so it's it's fundamentally hard but that's that's one approach the second approach is that you keep cancer at bay by you know giving it equilibrium the body also functions like this you know we have cancer cells being created constantly and then your your body comes in steps in fixes it and then keeps it in equilibrium it's, at a certain point it just breaks through and uh, you know things become cancerous cancer is also a disease of the old of the elderly generally um, so as you grow older, your your you, your repair me mechanism starts failing essentially, and therefore you break away from equilibrium state, and you get can you know you get cancer. Um, and the last part is escape. You know how do you? Uh, a lot of times um, when you have cancer, and that's the biggest enigma for all of us, is that when you have cancer, especially metastatic cancer, um, cancer cells. Are immortal essentially um, and they they know how to survive so they escape whatever we design um, and what escape essentially results in is, is the resistance so that's where all the science is working towards uh, in solving that you know uh, how can we stop either keep the cancer at equilibrium or we can stop it from escaping it so it's essentially pushing back it back to the equilibrium state and that's what all therapies are trying to do. So those are three E's that you have mm. to function I, with. 
Go for it, Chris. Sound like you had a question. Well, I was just going to ask with that, is there any um, proposed thought on prophylaxis? Anything that yeah. as you age could be yeah. a preventative in kind of the way that the HPV that's, and the viral causes of cancer are being addressed. That's a very, very, very good question. Well, so partly you addressed it. HPV um, is, uh, is essentially curable because you can have a vaccine. Um, and a lot of cancers we know are virally sourced. So there is that uh, prophylactic application. Um, lately, we also have realized that inflammation in the body can be a big uh, factor around causing cancer. Um, it, it relates to an entity called interleukin, and there are different types of interleukins. But if you control some of them, you can potentially prevent cancer. Um, uh, you know, my former company, Novartis, is essentially working on a drug um, which they discovered they were they were doing a trial in cardiovascular disease, and they discovered that the patients who were on that drug had lesser incidence of lung cancer. And the premise uh, is, again, that uh, if you give that drug, you can prevent lung cancer in certain type of patients, potentially all lung cancer patients, uh, in, especially in uh, NSCLC. And um, so, yes, the research is coming through. Research is indeed coming, pointing towards that you can manage, you can have prophylactic use of certain drugs. The bigger question, actually, is how would society pay for it? Cancer traditionally has is very expensive, so how do you pay for that? Um, that's a harder question to solve, and that's that's something we need to think through. Um, what would it take um, for for uh, insurance companies as well as us as a society to pay for it? To pay for preventing cancer throughout, especially because there's so many types of cancers out there. So would we would we pay for all of them? Would we pay for some of them? Would we only pay when it happens? Um, do, you, do you believe that you don't believe that cancer, a cancer vaccine, I guess we'll, we'll go with your part first, then we'll go to, you know, an HPV kind of more prophylactic vaccine. But um, I guess you're saying governments and insurance companies everywhere are still not no. sure how to pay for. Um, no, curative kind of treatments are hard to pay for in general. Um, you know, the reason pharma has been so successful is, uh, or Gleevec, for instance, or any company, is they are, they are, you're constantly looking for a drug that can make a disease condition chronic, uh, essentially. So you, you have a patient for, this, for their life. Um, and it becomes very profitable from a business model perspective. And therefore, you know, the pot of gold is so big Everybody is fighting to to get that pot of gold. It's it's just like X Prize, right? Once you know that there is people are investing towards it, then there's a big pot of gold to be won. Now, prophylaxis implies that to prevent cancer and incidence of cancer in two percent of the population, you have to give it to a hundred percent of them. How are we going to pay for that? Um, and, and there are uh, there, there are issues around adverse reactions and things like that. So yes, it's a big question for us to think through. 
Um, I think partly what will happen is um, is that certain forms of more prevalent cancer with certain um, predispositions, you would you would give those patients like prophylaxis. Um, you know, uh, it, it essentially happens in families where you have patients who have a certain type of gene. Um, and then those women are essentially getting double mastectomy. You know, Angela Jolie is one of the biggest examples. So um, maybe those patients, uh, high-risk patients, would be the ones who are given, and then you, you, society just pays for it somehow. Interesting. And, and I'm curious about the diagnostics part. Obviously, I look at diagnostics in my world yeah. and my business. Do you think we're going to get to a point where we can prevent 50% or more or, you know, will, yes. will we be able to get to a point where we diagnose well I enough think, that, you know, I, I, you you know there, there are a bunch of companies that, that, are, that are working in this direction. So I think diagnostics will be a crucial part. The bigger issue, I think, is going to be around the fact that we will have the ability to diagnose so much early. Um, I mean, I remember talking 10 years ago that, oh, early diagnosis is going to be game-changing. Now, actually, um, I see this on the horizon, and the conversation has, in fact, changed that you may be able to detect cancer so early that the fear may result in over-prescription, but, you know, the body is, is phenomenal in correcting a lot of cancer. I mean, all of us are forming cancer cells throughout our lifetimes, and, and the body is somehow repairing them. Um, we still don't understand. So the question will actually come to us uh, that do you drug every person who gets diagnosed with a cancer, early detection of cancer? Um, you know, that will be the bigger question to address, in my opinion, instead of, you know, um, uh, whether we'll, we'll detect or not. I think we will clearly detect. I, I'm, I'm very, very hopeful. I'm actually seeing some companies that are able to detect way too early, in fact. And are those are the the data or the papers you're reading? Are those uh, startups. startups or are those no no startups, established startups, companies startups, or both? Startups, okay. startups, and 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 uh, you know people are debating around it. That is it really cancer? Um, and you, then the question is, I, I think we are going towards a f redefinition of cancer. Um, that the definition of cancer will change. Um, uh, because you're able to detect cancerous cells. Remember, cancerous cells can be, you know, your body, you, you're creating cancer cells every day, every minute. There is a, there is a replication happening in the body. Cancer cells are being created, but you're, you're able to correct it. Um, and so the, you have these fragments floating around, um, which you will, be, you will start picking them up because the precision around medicine is increasing and around detection is increasing. So that'll be something for us to see. Um, one of the companies that I recently looked at was called QuantGene. And uh, they are essentially working in this space um, and they're trying to figure this out that if you are able to detect it so early on, how do you, how do you provide that information? Because it will create some level of hysteria uh, that, oh, I have cancer, but you really don't have cancer. It's just super early. And it may never, it may never materialize into cancer. 
um, like 20 and 23 and me was able to diagnose people with uh, macular degeneration early on or predisposition and some people got freaked out essentially this was one of the reasons back in 2013 or 2012 uh, fda said that you know you cannot release that information to 23 and me um, and those will and that was not as serious right uh, adult macular degeneration is is not i mean it's serious but it's it's uh, it was just showing a propensity with cancer, there will be, there can be mass hysteria. Like uh, there's just so much stigma around it, fear. Yeah, yeah. But and the diagnostics then that you're seeing, um, Abhishek, um, can are sensitive to the detection of cancer. Um, I guess it's a question of severity. Um, as well, and of course, of the type of cancer that's right. being detected, right? Right. I mean, I was addressing, Chris, I was particularly addressing the question around early detection. So early detection, by definition, at least for me, is not severe. But clearly, detection will play a big role. So for instance, in breast cancer, 20% of women, even today, come into the clinic as de novo, which means that they have never had any history of cancer and who are metastatic. They are already metastatic, so they already are in a terminal condition. 20% um, of women, that's a, that's a big that's number. A big Breast number. cancer is the second leading cause of death um, in cancer. And 20% of those women have never had any diagnosis of that, and they come in as metastatic. And these, gen these women generally are young, generally. That's the sad part. So diagnostic is going to be essential. I, I mean, the question is how do you disseminate that information? And therefore, I think there would be a redefinition and re-education around cancer at um, when do you really define your your body in cancer? And maybe that's when the three fundamentals of the three E's that I brought up will become very, very important. That are you in equilibrium, so don't worry? Or are you going into, uh, you know, uh, that essentially your cancer is at some kind of terminal velocity that it's, it's able to escape your own immune system and you, therefore it is now cancer? So those definitions, those biomarkers, understanding of those biomarkers would be very, very relevant, like uh, understanding the epigenetics of a person, um, that what in their environment is activating certain things that they need to be in a different group. So you will have to consider patient stratification in some ways to think about who is in a high-risk group, even in an early detected segment. Um, so those things will reveal, but I think all that will come out because we have so much more information available to us. Um, and the other important piece that, uh, you know, I never put all the pieces together for you, uh, Neil, when you asked me the question that why are we seeing this, is that A, we have a lot of information coming together, but more importantly, we have an ability to combine that information and reveal what is it doing. 
Um, and that's because of, uh, you know, artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence is fundamentally um, disrupting us. Uh, it's enabling us to live longer in many ways because we will be able to reveal what lies beneath um, because as humans, we cannot combine any of that, but the machines can. The, the, the AI can actually go deep, deep, very deep, and reveal the structure that resides within our biology so that we know what is happening. And that's why we, we are starting to see things. I, see, I, I, in fact, believe in cancer. You'll start seeing the first uh, set of drugs that are computationally designed maybe in 10 years, that, uh, you know, a, a completely personalized script would be written to a person that, okay, here's a concoction that uh, that you should take. I mean, it, it still happens today, but it's not personalized. It is customized. So, you know, you, you take three, three types of drugs and then you'll see a certain result. But I think in 10 years, you may just see a completely, um, a doctor formulating something very personalized for a person. Well, will it be a doctor or will it really just be an AI tool? You know, It'll still be a physician. It'll still be a physician. And essentially, I mean, we are seeing early signs of it anyways, like Kim Raya or uh, cell therapy is essentially doing that for us. Um, but yes, it'll be a physician along with a, uh, um, a trained uh, entity. It could, be a, it could be a pharma company. It could be, it, it has to be somebody trained, essentially. So um, it will start happening. I mean, cell therapy is doing that, essentially. When you get uh, CAR-T therapy today, they take your immune cells, you re-engineer them, um, and then essentially they become, they start attacking the cancer. So it's, it's personalized. It's personalized to you. Um, I even see a day where because your your immune system is not able to do it, then you're just constructing the the drug for a person computationally. Fascinating. Wow, that is fascinating, and seems to apply even to you know autoimmune issues and so such a broad spectrum yeah. yep. of conditions. Yep. And, and Chris, you're absolutely right. I, so cancer is leading the way. I would say autoimmune is maybe 10 years behind oncology. Um, mm -hmm. uh, because it's, it's not terminal. It's debilitating, but it's not terminal. Right. <clears throat> right. Well, and I, and I guess the, the whole... Um, bastion of drug development is being led in some ways by this oncology research and what you're talking about. Um, certainly different than combinatorial yep. chemistry. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, mm -hmm. um, so Abhishek, the question I have is, talk to me about the, how are people going to be able to pay for these, these different, you know, therapeutics that you know, you're talking about or these diagnostics? Because it seems to me the system today can't afford to pay for them. So, Neil, um, there, it's a two-part answer, essentially. I, it, there is a short-term resolution that would need to be done. And then there's a long-term view that I have 
And the long-term view is, is an easier solve, in my opinion. I think technology... Well, good. Um, take us through the short... Hold on. Take us through the short one first. I think... Let me, <laughs> Since let me, it's let harder. Me... <laughs> okay. So, you know, a lot of times, short-term things are harder than the long-term things because I think in the long run, things resolve. Um, and I think in why I believe... The... So let me answer the long-term piece, then I can connect the dot to the short-term because that's, that's, uh, that's going to be a fight in many ways. So in the long run, what will happen is that um, regulation as well as precision uh, will accelerate. So what I mean by that is instead of what we have today is drugs that are being developed, but they are being measured based on 20th century metrics where you have to have a certain population size um, in order to show benefit. Um, and as a result, what happens is that you need a certain number of patients to show evidence. Um, in time, what is going to happen is that as we become more precise, as we become more uh, tuned to the genetics, as well as all the transcriptomics, microbiome, all those pieces will come together and you can have more precise medication. Um, that will result in a narrow population as well as faster trials. Um, and therefore, a, tr uh, a drug that costs a billion, uh, in oncology it's less, um, will, will drop dramatically. As a result, the need to have a drug that is expensive will also drop um, because you have shorter times, uh, potentially longer periods of uh, IP protection and more specificity. Therefore, in some ways, it will get solved over time. Um, in the short run, we still, you know, we are still working with the with the with the framework that regulation offers, uh, along with statistics that that is uh, with us. Um, and I think what will need to be done, and it's already happening, is that there would be some level of policing that uh, or regulation. <laughs> I'm, I'm using a more stricter word of policing, but essentially, what will happen is. Um, Clinical pathways uh, are becoming more important in oncology. What that means is initially we used to have medicine where an oncologist would treat the patient with the best drug that they believe is, uh, is good. Now, uh, just like primary care, just like uh, more specialized uh, specialty care, um, you will have uh, more of guidance that the physicians have to follow, and then they have to follow under certain metrics. Um, and as a result, what will happen is, is beginning to happen is that certain drugs are going to be given instead of all the others that are coming out. Um, and um, as a result, uh, just like in specialty care, what happens is uh, like Humira is the is the largest selling drug, but um, out of $100 that it is priced at, let's say 40% goes into rebates to different entities. And that's essentially will start happening even in oncology. The rebates will start increasing. Um, and, uh, you know, um, and that's, that's, how th that's how certain drugs will win in this case. That being said, 
the ability for the society to pay is something that we will have to still figure it out that if you want to give quality care to everybody, all the drugs cannot be afforded. Therefore, there will be some kind of price ceiling. There would be some level of um, uh, value metrics placed on this that is is the patient deriving value apart from just therapy. You know, is, is, are they delaying chemo? Are they living better? Do they have less pain? Those are the things that will start getting considered more and more. So it's a harder question to solve in the short term. Got it, time. right. Yeah, not, not easy at all. Um, talk to me just, about... Go ahead. Just give me a minute, please. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm back with you. Okay. Um, talk to me a little bit about the Chinese ability to um, have millions of doses for COVID. Um, does, the, does the Chinese government actually have the ability to, to put out that many doses? And, you know, I don't well, know. I wouldn't. So I think um, I, I, um, I wouldn't be able to um, address the question around whether they have the ability to manufacture as many doses. What, what they have made a claim is that they have, um, they have, uh, uh, that they have, that they have a vaccine potentially, which they are trialing out. Um, and what they are missing, uh, in reality is the fact that because they have controlled the virus so well that, uh, they don't have enough uh, patients in China that can be that, that, that can be tested against COVID. So what they are trying to do is uh, recruit patients globally um, instead. So therefore, if they if they are able to prove success, therefore they will be able to manufacture it. I, I don't think manufacturing would be difficult, based on what I know of their vaccine. Talk to me about. Um consuming high quantities of processed foods and whether that leads to immune compromise in the system. And then also specifically try and, you know, regurgitate the question before you answer it. Sure. So processed food fundamentally, um, you know, accentuates certain elements of, um, um, of the nutrition, um, they are they are designed to be desirable from a taste perspective. But that being said, they have a biological impact. In general, most processed foods uh, induce more inflammation, and inflammation in many ways is the root cause for many things. Um, it it is uh, it is it is a condition. You know, it it causes cardiovascular constriction or atherosclerosis. Um, it is also one of the reasons that um, some patients are more compromised because they they have inherent immune or inherent inflammation with COVID, and it has also been found that uh, patients uh, some patients also have a higher propensity for cancer to because they have uh, inherent inflammation. That being said, if you eat well, if you eat wholesome food, you reduce inflammation. Even uh, uh, meat induces inflammation. 
Um, therefore, processed food in general causes inflammation and, you know, and inflammation is a root cause for many things. Uh, like I said, with cancer, you know, weaker immune response in general, those are the reasons that inflammation is just bad for you. Um, and, you know, you have uh, several biohackers out there in the community who are saying, oh, take cold showers, take wholesome foods, take raw foods, eat um, uh, eat less uh, salt. These are all uh, trends that are coming alive fundamentally just because of these. And, and this is one of the reasons even monks don't have uh, as much cancer because they, their food is simpler, they have less inflammation. I mean, they've measured that. Um, so inflammation is just uh, is, is something that you should steer away from. Um, in fact, Novartis has a drug called canikinumab. The drug was being trialed for cardiovascular condition. Um, and what they found was that it, it was called the Cantos trial. What, what they found was that the patients in the trial had less propensity for getting lung cancer. And now the drug is being transitioned over to uh, cancer, uh, specifically lung cancer, to see if that drug can prevent uh, cancer. And it is based on interleukin um, alpha, which is implicated in inflammation. So there is enough evidence coming alive for it and therefore therapeutics. So if you eat well, wholesome You're more food, likely to be healthy. <laughs> more likely to be healthy. Go, you know, go, go live on a co-op farm. It might be a, a very good way to, to, to live a higher quality life. Um, but, but seriously, yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate, uh, I definitely appreciate the answer and uh, the thoughts around that. Um, Abhishek, you know, I, I appreciate you jumping, joining us on the episode today. I'm wondering where people can find you just, you know, as a last, obviously on your, on LinkedIn, but where else can people find you follow your work? Well, they can of course find me at GSK, <laughs> but uh, just kidding. Um, uh, or, 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 or dancing in a nightclub, uh, because I like salsa dances again. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> <laughs> in general, uh, LinkedIn, LinkedIn is probably the best place. LinkedIn is in general, the best place to get in touch. Um, I'm always available. Um, I do participate in some of the events. Um, of course, the events that are organized by Zoic, um, as well as the events that are happening in New York City around incubation of companies, specifically um, in, the, in the biotech arena or digital health. Um, so I do participate in those. Um, so people can look me up. And I usually post about them on my LinkedIn profile if I'm attending those. But um, Neil Tish, answer simply, LinkedIn is the best way. All right, Abhishek's LinkedIn will be included in the show notes, but it's linkedin.com slash in slash 123Y, W-I-S-E. Abhishek, thanks again for joining us on this episode of Market Meditations. We had a wonderful time with you. Thank you. Hey, if you liked our episode today, please go ahead and visit your local podcast host and give us a five-star rating. We really would appreciate it. We'd love to bring you more guests. And uh, if you have any requests or suggestions, also feel free to leave that in the comments where you rate us. And we will talk to you soon. Until then, be well and be safe. <laughs>